It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show, and today we are taking a detour to my usual fair, and we're all going to look at a week in Bush um, Meadows at um, the old Arthur Ashe Stadium for AW Grand Slam, um, where the US Open is held. And uh, it's open season on violence uh, for AW. And joining me today to discuss this, I have two guests. We're back to having two of us this week. Will you please welcome Mr. John Densdale? How are you, sir? I am pretty good. It's been a while since I've watched AEW, and I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. I forgot how fun the product can actually be you when go. you're not hearing about backstage drama or Tony Khan opening his mouth and saying something stupid. Yeah, it's very true. Um, but there you go. Also joining us this week is Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. Glad to be back. Uh, normally, I'm under uh, the Gleet banner. Uh, but uh, got the opportunity to hop on, do some uh, AEW coverage, which is uh, not been—I don't think I've done uh, in a while, and certainly I've been on with John in a while. So it was uh, definitely apropos for me to, you know, take this opportunity. There you go. Well, there was some the real we... Sorry, Carol. This is the first time me and Marcus have been on where I've not been taking the piss out of Master Wato. This is true. We're not looking at a New Japan show. Yeah. The last time we looked at AEW was Forbidden Door, and that was me, John. Or was it me, Marcus, and Alex? Or was it me, John, and Alex? I didn't make Forbidden Door. There must have been you, Mark. Was it you, Marcus? Yeah, yeah, we did Forbidden yeah. Door. Yeah. yeah, so that was that was the last time we looked at it. And also, the Rewind crew, they looked at Forbidden Door, but they look at AEW on a semi-regular basis. Um, and we're kind of on their territory, but there's Ring of Honor stuff in this, and Ring of Honor stuff is our stuff, because they don't look at Ring of Honor stuff. And we do. <laughs> so, um, I just, Ring of Honor. Yeah, so as me and Marcus have followed Ring of Honor to the bitter end. <laughs> Damn it. We'll Literally, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> as long as Corey Silkin can take bumps, we'll be there. That's, that's yeah. what's happening. And funnily enough, what happened in the first match we saw? Uh, this was, like we said, uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York City, New York, a place so nice they flamed it twice in front of 13,800 fans, which, let's face it, for a non-WWE show in New York is pretty outstanding. Chris Jericho defeated Claudio Clastignoli to become the new Ring of Honor world champion. It's pretty obvious where they're going with this story. Chris Jericho is the least um, likely Ring of Honor world champion of all time and has been ever since talking about how he's going to bring honor to wrestling despite having won with a distraction low blow finish. Uh, Marcus, your thoughts? Yeah, this was... Uh... This was unexpected, uh, but I did very much appreciate the match. I thought him and uh, Claudio had great chemistry. It was, you know, well executed. Jericho and AEW has kind of been uh, hit or miss sometimes when it's come to come to fast. He's always been fun character-wise. That's, you know, um, hard to deny. But um, sometimes his match has been hit or miss, specifically with him using that Judas elbow. But, uh, yeah, like you said, the kind of the fix kind of was in with, like you said, kind of knowing where this should lead. I think Claudio has done a great job. But, uh it's almost a little bit more to be mined um, character-wise with him using this title. I mean, he was working it, working the narrative all throughout Rampage, which was fun, as he does uh, commentary talking about honor, honor this, honor that, who does low blows and matches, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, um, 
couple matches ended in in some chicanery, but this, I, I, you know, they got a real good match out of this, and I'm, I'm hoping they do it. They run this back again. So there you go. I think I agree with you. It, it, it is fun. I'm not the biggest Jericho fan, but this is the kind of thing he does well when it's not overly long because he just can't anymore. Let's be honest, and that's fine. They're getting as much out of him as they possibly can. Um, and the Ocho character is going to great in just the right way. John, what was your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I was surprised by this. Like Chris Jericho's AW work is, as Marcus said, a bit of a hit and miss Russian roulette deal where you'll get some great matches and then some way you just like, stop, stop, he's already dead. And then, <laughs> yeah, him and Claudio, great match, nice bit of intensity, a lot of vicious bumps. And then, of course, Jericho winning an honourable title in the least honourable way possible just to give everyone the middle finger. It's basically how you start your show as you mean to go on. This is it. I mean, this is like a world championship match with world championship level stars in the opener. And then then it's it's really um, Samuel Goldwyn style booking. For those of you who don't know who Samuel Goldwyn, Goldwyn is, if you've watched MGM movies, he's the G, Goldwyn, in Metro Goldwyn-Mayer. Um, and he was a producer back in the 30s and 40s. And his credo was, give me a film that starts with an earthquake and then builds to a climax. And that's a great way of booking entertainment, whatever the type of entertainment is. And this is what you have. I mean, give him an earthquake to start with. And that's yeah, what happens. Uh, yeah, kinda, it kind of briefly reminded me of uh, when they, they briefly put the uh, NXT title on Dolph early in the year. And then things up. Sorry, John. John, you there? Everyone's going to awkwardly silent. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's waiting for you to speak. <laughs> oh, I was just laughing because I'm so out of the loop on NXT and I forgot they'd done that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see that coming. Yeah. yeah. All right, then. We'll move on. Next was the AEW World Tag Team. Yeah. Just before we get off the ROH stuff, doesn't this make you feel sorry for Gresham? Really, yeah. He carried that title like a mark of honour. He literally was trying to keep ROH alive. It gets sold to AEW. He drops the belt to Castagnoli, which is at least a semi-reasonable choice, and now it's just on Jericho. It's like, yeah, this is exactly what everyone expected AEW to do with ROH. Just make it AEW 2.0. Yeah, yeah. it's that, uh, I can see that. Sorry, Corey, you go, Marcus. No, I was just, just going to say, like, uh, you know, as much as, uh, I guess, Flutter has been around that situation, I do appreciate the fact that much like it feels like Cody uh, kind of saw the writing on the wall and, and kind of got out of Dodge before it got a little bit more um, con- conscient, uh, contentious than it, you know, needed to be because, he, you know, he's very much professional. He put the company on, and that title on his back for a very long time. Um, but it's not like he doesn't have other avenues and options. Obviously, he has Terminus. You know, he could pop up in other places. But um, I think he kind of saw, to John's point, where it was going. It was like, you know what? This ain't going to serve me in no kind of way. Let me go ahead and dip out of here. And, and, and to John's point, you know, dropping into Cassie Gnola, that's, 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 no, that's no scrum. It's not like he had to pull a Jericho in there and get Fandango over or anything, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is the thing. It's like... Wrestlers are always going to look for better options. And that's, you know, there's um, uh, Lady Frost a couple of months, well, months ago, didn't renew her contract with Impact Wrestling. From what I understand, they wanted her, but she didn't want them because she felt she'd done what she could do. And now she's working for CMLL. 
and doing really well. So there are, if you're willing to go, there are plenty of places to work these days. And especially for someone like Gresham, who's never going to main event, like you're not going to see him against Moxley. For... Sorry, John. <laughs> Why is the car glitching out so much? It's only when you start talking, like you miss the first bit of the sentence and then we think you're speaking or you're not. It's a bit weird. I literally just said that sounds like something GCW would book. Ah, right. True. And GCW have. <laughs> but there we go. All right, let's move on to the World Tag Team title match. The acclaimed Anthony Bowens and Max Caster with Billy, Ge- Billy Gunn and DJ Wukid defeated Swerve in Our Glory, Keith Lee and Swerve Swickland, Strickland with Fabulous. 13 minutes and 44 seconds, a title change that was exceptionally popular. The acclaimed have become grassroots popular tag team. They've got themselves over uh, any which way they could, and it has worked, uh, definitely. And um, as someone said (laughs) this week, the first openly gay man and the first virgin to be world tag team champions. Sean, your thoughts? Yeah, I I had a blast with this. I quite enjoy the acclaimed. They always make me laugh. I'm proud of what they can do and what they represent, like how they represent people. And I just can't believe how many people dropped the ball with Shane Strickland and Keith Lee. Like as a tag team, they are like just terrifying. Like Swerve yeah. is one of the most char- charismatic villainous types to exist, and he's just loving like the limelight. Even if he lost the title here, it was just great match great chemistry great theatrics and yeah i i just love that billy gunn is so open to anything like he is (laughs) he's the type of veteran i wish we had more of where it's just like oh yeah i worked smarter i'm still in great shape i look amazing and i'm going to help put anyone over and if i have to be mr ass again so be it i i think as well he's kind of making up for the Billy and Chuck stuff. <laughs> Being more positive about uh, the whole LGBTQ community, uh, thankfully. Um, but yeah, no, I think this was loads of fun. It was sloppy in places. I have to say that. There were some blown spots. But that's kind of this multi-man, loads of interference kind of match is going to end up with some stuff that's messy. And that's kind of part of the course. But it told the story it needed to tell. And Keith and Swerve are kind of falling apart and have been falling apart despite the fact they keep winning. So that's kind of where we're at with them. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this? Absolutely. Uh, 100% uh, agree with everything John said and you too as well, James. Uh, I'm more, I've always, uh, since the inception of this Swerve and our glory team, I've, I've been behind these guys also. I think Keith Lee has been brilliant uh, since he came to. Uh, to AEW and Swerve, like John said, is just, you know, undeniable guys dripping with swag. You put them together and, you know, they were brilliant, like you said, uh, despite, you know, the flutterings. I, and I have appreciated how they kept that as a through line, you know, throughout this whole thing, the, um, the dysfunctional success that they've had. Uh, but I've was not on any type of momentum bandwagon when it came to the acclaimed, having them with the Billy Gunn crew. I just didn't, none of it clicked for me. And then they did this match, uh, it all out, uh, and they, they kind of won me over. And it's mm-hmm. one of those cool things to watch because it's something that's so organic, they couldn't yeah. deny it. It's why they're champions now. 
Um, and it's just it's just been great, great fun to watch. Um, those young guys that can easily be written off. Sometimes Matt Cast is not the most desirable when it's come to some of his uh his raps. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think he's rebounded and, and, and done a great job to kinda enhance his presentation on, in that regard. And um yeah, this is just this just been brilliant stuff to watch and to John's point about Billy Gunn. Um he's just he's just fun to watch and that little interaction between him and Swerve. And the match was great. Him still doing his famous uh, to perfection is great. Um, and it just really, this whole thing really just shows the, the organic greatness that can come in wrestling. And uh, just how it's just ultimately a, a big, fun variety show. Because it's not lost on me that a key component to this whole thing was Billy Gunn being all about ass. And now he's all about scissoring. So... <laughs> you, know, you know, of course, you know, that that's 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 one of those things in wrestling that you kind of, you know, you just can't can't but, you know. Yeah. On. So it's great. Yeah. You know, you got you to love it. That's how you get young guys over. And they, they you know, good on them for making the decision to put those belts on those boys, because had this been elsewhere, they would have stayed stubborn and kept it on. It's worth not glory. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, they've, they've got something good. The biggest story for Keith and Swerve is not the tag team titles. There's a yeah. bigger story ahead for them, and you can focus them on that. And Bowens and Caster can establish themselves as a tag team for a little while until it's time to get someone else over, which is what championships are all about. Um, speaking of which, Pac defended his AEW All-Atlantic Championship against Orange Cassidy, 12 minutes and 34 seconds. Um, this was fine. It just didn't seem to have the zing to it that I kind of expected it to have. Um, it seemed slightly pedestrian. It wasn't awful. It wasn't terrible, but it just there was something missing, and I'm not sure what it was. Marcus, what do you think of this? Yeah, same. I did, just it ultimately just felt like there was a gear that they could have got into that they just didn't, and maybe that's because this was their first meeting and they're gonna carry this over um, into a few potentially maybe building on cast to getting his first uh, single title. Um, yeah, I, I think this also. I mean, this you know, I think you know. Going back to what I said about the gear, obviously it was, you know, I think that gear is what we kind of saw when he had to face Osprey. Um, and I think they can get there with this pack thing, but I think it continues to build the, the story of even with everything we've seen from Orange, he still kind of gets taken uh, lightly by opponents, even if they're ending the match damn near with a low blow on him or whatever he did uh, at ringside, I think, uh, with a weapon or what have you. They're still kind of... Um, taking them for uh, granted in some way. So I think there's room for improvement with this whole thing. And I think you get them in another match and they may very well hit that gear. But yeah, like you said, this was kind of just, this was just good enough. It wasn't great. you know. Yeah. And uh, to a fellow Northeasterner, John, or fellow to pack, obviously, Orange Cassidy is not from Toon. Um, John, what did you think of this match? Calling me a bastard. <laughs> yeah. Uh... It it reeked of chapter one syndrome. It was a very sort of, we'll show them what we're capable of, but it's, it's not going to be every trick in the bag here. It it felt like a, they knew it was a middle of the show match, so they give it a middle of the show performance. Which don't get me wrong, for Pack and Orange Cassidy is still good. Yeah. Like if they're phoning it in, it's still watchable. It's not like, <laughs> oh here's a slow lariat slow leg drop slow that no they're still moving and they're still putting a lot into it it's just you know they're both capable of more and pack ending it with a ring bell to the head sorry ring hammer to the head just makes it seem like yep 
we're going to cook you out with a first finish just so we can give you a better one later. It, I mean, yeah, I think this is the thing. I was like, um, I'll be on um, soon on a random wrestling review. I won't be able to reveal it because they don't like that. But I was watching a match and um, it was booked to a time limit draw. And there's two massive stars in it. And it's like, but they both look like they were wrestling to a time limit draw. And this one is kind of like, they weren't wrestling to it. They were wrestling to a finish that isn't really what they're both known for. <laughs> so it just kind of seemed a bit, oh, we've got to do this to do the next thing. So we'll do this. But they didn't seem to be quite as into it as perhaps they should have been. And therefore it just Wasn't kind of... was even a dynamic shenanigans finish. No, like you could have easily had like Orange go off like the Orange Punch and Pac just twats him in the head with the hammer. It didn't have to be so like generic in its approach. They could have I still think, had a bit of life into it. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why the crowd didn't pop for it because like half of the audience wouldn't see it because it was kind of hidden from them. If they're looking down, if they're the ones around ringside on the card camera side couldn't see what happened. So it just seemed to fall a bit flat. And that's kind William of William like... Regal in the building. How was he not showing these people how to get a proper brass knuckles finish? He used to do it all <laughs> the bloody time. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. It's just the way it is, I suppose. It was it was all it, it was all right. There was nothing wrong with it. I don't want to stress the fact that it was nothing wrong with it. It's just that it seemed to be a bit by the numbers, which is just not what you're used to from both these two, because they both tend to pull it out on the big nights, and this was where we were at. Anyway, let us move on to the semi-main event of this particular evening. Tony Storm defeated Athena, Britt Baker, and Serena Deeb in an interim world women's title match in 9 minutes and 50 seconds, which was, again, pretty good, but nothing to write home about. It was all right. I can't really say any more about it. There's great wrestlers in it, but the continuing ever-issue problem of the fact that they don't get enough time, there isn't enough story, and it's the AW's women's division, which is chock full of talent, and they keep hiring more, as we saw at the end of this match, which we'll talk about after we've discussed the match. And there's nothing wrong with the match, and there's nothing wrong with the wrestlers, but I've failed to see why I should be watching it, or I've given a reason to be watching it. Uh, John, what do you think of this? It was all right. Like, again, it's it's a, it's a multi-woman match, so it's, it's always going to be a bit messy. There's going to be a lot of action. It's going to be quite enjoyable, but at the same time, it's just kind of vapid it's there and then it's gone and sure it's like oh look tony storm beat the odds she's beaten the odds again but it it feels like they've written off one of the only stories the women division had for the sake of what came next yeah Plus, how does Britt baker always manage to end a match bleeding it, it's a talent at this point like, i know fair. athena basically oh. drops yeah, Serena <laughs> Deeb on her face. That's not her fault at all. She <laughs> broke <just>... nose. <laughs> yeah, I think Moxley handed it's her just... the, the blood, the blood pact or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, that's that's it. She did, did absolutely not her fault. She got somebody dropped her on her head. Uh, well, it was Athena who got dropped her on her head and landed on her face, and therefore broke her nose. Um, yeah, it's just me. Could be so great. I will Isn't... also be. I'll be the first to admit that I'm slightly biased with this division because I just want Abaddon to reign supreme. But, but I, but then again, you need a story for Abaddon to reign supreme with, which is something they seem incapable of telling. Like, yeah. there's there's these four women, and there's plenty of perfectly good and valuable women like Kylan King, um, who's on this roster as well, and Madison Rain, who's on this roster as well, and. 
a bunch of other people. This could have been two matches on this show. Just start there. Like, you know, all right, there's loads of championship matches on this show. Every match is a championship match, which is fair enough. But you could have put Pack and Orange Cassidy on Rampage instead and had two matches, had two women's matches here because you could have had a championship match and a number one's contenders match. And there's two stories you can tell. So, and it's something they do on Rampage better than they do on Dynamite because in Dynamite, everything seems to get lost in the shuffle. But on Rampage, you seem the big women's matches happen on Rampage. They don't happen on Dynamite because there's more, there's, because the Rampage is more concise, they have to get the job done. So, um, you know, that tag match with the, the street fight tag match a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago with Penelope Ford and uh, Bunny and the violence and the bleeding and the ah, that was great. But it was told on Rampage. It wasn't told on Dynamite. So, hmm. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, complete melding of uh, both you, you gentlemen's points, man. Ultimately, a lot of the, the talent in this match is, is not debatable. Um, but, you know, James, to your point, there's so much more that can be potentially mined out of stories. You know, Ember Moon being the young, uh, you know, coming into the company needing to prove something. Uh Obviously, where she came from, uh, Dee being the the vet, thinking she should um, potentially just be the champion because of you know she's the best and you know she's a uh, top dog in that regard. Obviously, Tony Storm, like John said, got that underdog story. Um, and you know, to a point, you could you can obviously throw uh, the former champion there as well in some form of fashion. But I think the other three have, I think, a stronger uh, points to be made. But ultimately, the like John said, to kick it off, I think this sadly just had to kind of do what it did so it could ultimately serve what came afterwards, which was, um, that, like we're going to get to, was, was a big surprise. But I think they could have could have had a better match and then topped it off with what came instead of having to kind of just serve that as a, um, and, and now here's the big thing. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that leads us to the signing of Saria, um, formerly known as Paige, formerly known as Brittany Knight, um, one of the biggest names in women's wrestling, obviously, and is signed as yet another game changer, which as a lot of people have said this week, does seem like every three months we get a woman who's going to be a game changer. And she may well be, um, in the sense of if they've hired her into book or if they've hired her into advise or train, she could be a game changer, but it still won't help if they only get nine minutes a week to show off what they can do. They need more depth in storytelling. They need a booker that cares about them. And I think both of us, all of us have talked about this before. If you give Emi Sakura half an hour a week on Dynamite, this would be amazing. And that's all you need to do. It's like even back when Omega used to book the division, it got more time and effort than it gets now. Did it do the weird glitch again? It did a bit. You there, Marcus? Yeah, I'm here. Right, fix the Skype. You never fail to be a piece of shit. (laughs) Marcus, fix the AW Women's Division in three minutes. Go. Uh, Hi, James. Shit. (laughs) 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 Just, 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 hi, James. Like, I just, like, at that point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, I mean, you got to knockouts, and then I guess they could switch the division over at this point with the narrative to the game changers. But yeah, I mean, you you just got to slow build, start one story at a time. Um, 
stop bringing in so many people work with what you got and uh do longer matches and actually have segments and is it just me or does jade as the ten uh tbs champion kind of only defended on the tnt show yeah is it just me no no you're right no she yeah. seems to, i mean she's made rampage kind of her place yeah and she's kind of owns it as a show which is really cool but she's not on the show that's on tbs which is a bit weird yeah so you probably she is, but she's there for like two minutes promoting a match that's on rampage yeah yeah, it's a bit weird. John, fix the AW Women's Division. You got three minutes. Go. <laughs> Nick Abbott on the champion. Have more than one match per like show. Give us some actual stories. Let Emi Sakura run the, the bloody like booking of the division. Have Kenny Omega as an advisor or EVP if you really need one of them there, because he cares about women's divisions too. And just yeah. Look at what Joshi does. Look at how you can meld your division with that because then you're giving audiences something different instead of copying either the Impact Knockouts division or WWE's women division. Like, you've got such a roster with so many different and unique talents on there that you just don't use because you want to bung the same four or five people in the same multi-person match each week. Like, I get that Britt Baker has her fans and her popularity, but I don't need to see her like continuously in the title scene. I haven't seen Nyla Rose in like title contention in bloody months. Mm. And she's probably one of the most unique champions she they had. Like Hikaru Shida carried that division for a while and now she's sort of helping promote Joshi titles <laughs> instead of, <laughs> you know, repping the division she practically made. It's, yeah. It's just a bit weird when you sort of try to break down what you fix in it because you sort of look at it and you just like, why the hell are you doing this? Why are you hiring more women that you're not going to use? Because you've got this one woman you seem to just want to use continuously. Like, yeah. does Britt Baker just not want time off? Is is this it? Again, I, we've seen what happens when AEW grants time off. Yeah, I suppose so. But there's also like, you know, sometimes you'd like how can you miss her if she's always there and there's a cornetism but it's true you know if she's always in your face you need to like people used to like um have a go at hogan for never being on not being on tv every week but it made him special you know back in his heyday in the 90s before the days of monday night raw and nitro and stuff you saw him wrestle once a month he didn't do squash matches he did saturday night's main event he did the pay-per-view and the rest of he did promos and they maybe do the house shows. We, we would do the house shows, but he wouldn't be on TV because that would diminish him as the main character of the program. And that's the kind of thing that you you see with Britt Baker is the fact that she's the star of the division. And arguably, she was the star of AEW for a long, long time. But she has reached the point of overexposure. I, I do like her, but it just feels like they've got no like depth to the division it's just right how long are we gonna go until we break glass in case of Britt baker yeah that's the thing it's it's like and you can build a they're building star power there's nothing wrong with that but you have to give them something to do you know like tony storm is a star Britt baker is a star athena is a star even serena deeb though she's an older star she's still a star but they've got nothing it's to questionable she has well with questionable taste less, but let's let's 
I was hoping we couldn't mention that, but anyway, yeah. But I uh, couldn't resist. Her taste in men aside. <laughs> but um, yes, so they're just, it's just there. Let's move on to positive thoughts. And the main event for the AEW World title uh, after somebody left the company and vacated the World Championship. So they had a tournament of champions and everyone in the tournament had been a champion at some place. Um, and the final fell down to John Moxley and Brian Danielson. 19 minutes and 31 seconds of an old school Ring of Honor grind them out professional wrestling match that was, wow, it was brutal, to be honest with you. And it's the kind of thing that people used to tell you couldn't main event big arena shows because it would just be, would not grab the attention of American audiences. And by gum, this did. Uh, Mark? No, John. John, what did you think of this? Um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Like, this was pure grind out rest. This was what the Blackpool Combat Club sells itself on. Like, yeah. William Regal on commentary and two wrestlers just beating the absolute shit out of each other, trying to break each other, and everyone loving it. Like, this is how far we can, like, you can push wrestling to change. As you said, it used to be a case of, oh, this had never main event. And I bet more people want to see more main events like that after seeing this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was like, it's, it was basically, um, how can I put it? It, it's, it was, it's Saturday night at Wigan Pier, you know, that kind of wrestling. Like, you, you put that on in Wigan Town Hall in 1974, everyone would go, I'm happy. Proper hard, proper hard wrestling. That would be that's what they'd say. I around was there. surprised there was no snake hissing for all that snake pit action. <laughs> it was just, it was just hard strikes and submissions, and they didn't really leave the ring that much. It wasn't really hardcore. It was just good wrestling. And five years ago, you couldn't do that. Just couldn't in North America. You could do it in Japan. You could do it in Britain. But you couldn't do it in America. It just won't happen. Marcus, more Ring you... of Honor than the Ring of Honor title. Yeah, absolutely. There was a little bit of CZW in there, but it was mostly Ring of Honor style wrestling. Marcus, what did you think of this? Man, this was damn fun, man. This was ace. Um, this is this is what you do for a world title match. This is who you put in a world title match. And uh, this is how you, this is what you do for a main the main event of show. Um, it's kind of you know kind of. Look at a match like this and, and look at what ended up happening, and you're kind of almost glad. Um, as crappy as all that stuff was coming out all out, you're kind of glad this is kind of how stuff fell because this this kind of seems like what a direction kind of should have been in, and that's no knock yeah. at, at the last guy, but it is what it is. It's just it's a preference thing for me. I just prefer either Moxley, who is is absolutely been ace, and and, and Deep Rod, who you know again another ace. Um, and there was no wrong decision here. Um, you know, this is like you said, this this wouldn't have happened some years back. And like John said, this felt more Ring of Honor than Ring of Honor uh, match did. But this this was just simply brilliant. You knew coming into this match, you were gonna get something uh, special, and that's what they delivered. Um, it was just it was just great to watch. I mean, I you know I think D. Bry, <laughs> you know, got some type of notification about knife edge chopping. Was like, screw that, I'm going gunshot. Because <laughs> this was just peppering guy, like it, it was, it was nuts. But um, yeah, this this was this was brilliant. And and they, Moxley is uh, 
you know, three times champion. And like I said, there was no wrong decision here. But at that promo that he cut the dynamite after all out, this is yeah. why you put this guy as your champion. You know? Yeah. So yeah, it was it was it was great. It was great. Right then. It's notable we spent more time talking about the AW women's match and what was wrong with it than we did talking about the main event of a match that was basically perfect for what it needed to be. Yeah. But that's the way wrestling journalism so, goes. There's so much passion behind the AEW's women's division echoed by the fan base. Especially like the female fans that are there. Yeah. Like exactly. people are always like, oh, wrestling's such a male dominated. And it's, it's not. Like women want to be a part of it. Women have always wanted to be a part of it. And like here we have one of the biggest shows on television and they get 10 minutes out of two hours. It's. Un, unrepresentative twaddle, to be honest. Well, it's always easier to point at the negatives because, we're like, you could improve this and your show would only improve. Yeah. Like, having it. Mox and Daniel Bryan as the main event, perfect. Brilliant match. Excellent. But why was this here? And why wasn't it given more time to breathe, more storylines, and more depth? Because yeah. you know you're capable of it. We've just seen you do it in the main event with a fucking interim title that you had to cobble together because someone stormed out in a huff. Yeah, and not being funny, but Tony Storm and Athena could have just as similar kind of match to Danielson and um, uh, Mox had. Just how you present it. So there you go. Let us move on to Rampage. I like Rampage. I watch Rampage most Sunday nights with my friend Christy. And we, when we always watch an hour's worth of wrestling on a Sunday night before the end of the weekend. And we'll probably watch something tonight. I won't be watching this because I obviously watched it yesterday. But we always watch something. And more often than not lately, it's been Rampage. It's usually NWA or Impact or an hour of Impact. Or we'll watch Rampage. And Rampage is a nice, concise hour of professional wrestling. This wasn't because this was two hours long. <laughs> but it's always fun and always kind of moves along quite quickly. And it's nice. And it opened, again, with the whole earthquake thing. Darby Allen and Sting defeated the House of Black, Brody King and Buddy Matthews, along with Julia Hart. 13 minutes of this mess that was a brilliant mess. You know, again, Darby Allen. Mm. But um, the actual wrestling concerned was great. It really did a cracking job of opening the show exceptionally well. Furthered the story between Allen and Sting and the House of Black and introduced the one man we've been going back to all year long on the Troopany Show and the reason why we're doing this podcast, the great Muta. But we'll talk about Muta after we've talked about the match. John, your thoughts? Brilliant, 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 brilliant. I love hardcore anything goes clusterfuck tag matches. Like, this was just fun. It started chaotic. Julia Hart just looks incredible as, like, the sort of pseudo leader of the House of Black, the sort of attendant making sure everything's going smoothly until, you know, she misses a table and Jesus Christ scares the hell out of everyone. Yeah. And, yeah. This was one of those matches where you could watch, you could probably watch it go on for half an hour because it's still just fine continuous ways to one up the bad shit stuff you're seeing. And yeah, just when you thought you were going to escape the beginner's guide to Japanese wrestling, here comes the great bloody muta. Like, (laughs) it came so far out of left field. Like, normally if Rampage, like AEW is going to do something like that, there's either like cryptic hints or bloody video packages saying, oh, look who's going to be here. What are they going to do? Ooh. No, Muta just fucking rocked up out of nowhere. 
Sting's been carrying the match, gets handcuffed, and then Muta's just like, all oh, right, I'll save you, bud. <laughs> just, yeah, I think it's probably done on, it's been done on very short notice, which is the reason why it's a surprise. I, I get the feeling. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, this was just blast fun. Marcus, what did you think of this? And 1,000% agreement. This match was exactly, much like the main event on Dynamite, this was exactly what it needed to be. You you got Sting, you got Darby going against Matthews and, and uh, the big man. Um, you, you're not going to, it's just not smart to go against these guys head up, straight up, straight up and down. They needed, yeah. that, I, I love when they do stuff like that, because if you're going to make that much grandiose of an entrance, you're begging for me to attack you from behind. It would be stupid <laughs> not to. So I like when they just do simple logic like that. And, and to John's point, uh, the young lady has been brilliant, almost making herself um, as must-see as somebody who's actually, you know, some of the women that's in the ring, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think, you know, whatever's going on with, with, you know, Alistair Black, and we wish him luck with that, um, I think this has opened up a brilliant spot for her to, for you know, to take command and, and, and really put the spotlight on herself. And I think that was... Uh, Sean, Sean, no better than what we got here. But yeah, this was just brilliant chaos, every sense of the word. Um, to me, now I've talked about this with, with another friend of mine. Sting has been one of the best book legends going. Yeah, definitely. With his presentation, um, you know what what he's been doing, the way he's been doing it, um, and, and it's, it's like Jr. said on commentary, he's just having fun. He's doing him, and he's having yeah. fun. He's doing it his way. And the show is all the better for it. And, and Darby certainly benefited from it. So, um, you know, to say you add somebody who is equal to or greater than Sting to top this match off, it, you know, it's just, you know, as they say, it, it's the tits, you know. <laughs> yeah, no one it's... actually made an announcement regarding this. Yeah, as and well. So there, there was a bigger purpose than just having Musha rock up on AW. I'll let I'll let the the host of the show make that announce. I just I want to agree that like I remember Sting's was it 2016 when WWE brought him back and yeah. he had like the big Triple H feud, the Seth feud, and he's looked so much better now. Mm-hmm. He's had a lot more fun now, and it's just who knew like him having to retire and then come back would just lead to something so goddamn amazing. I think that's the thing. I mean, it's like I remember him doing interviews just at the end of his TNA run and he kind of like, he didn't really want to wrestle in TNA, but like Dixie was like, can you stay around? Because we kind of need you. And I think it became a chore for him towards the end. and It wasn't fun anymore. And then the WWE one was like, well, it's big money. you got to go. But it didn't get anything out of it that he needed to get out of it. And this is just like, yeah, wrestle every couple of months and do what you want to do. How could you not enjoy that? And that's that's where he's at, really. Um, the Muta thing is, yeah. <laughs> Watching the great Muta come out in New York, which is really the only place in America he ever wanted to wrestle. And one of the reason why he did that short run in with the the Wrestle One TNA crossover was part of the deal was he got to wrestle in New York. Um, and he gets to come out in front of a big crowd in New York, much like Homicide did last year. And, you know, he, he had his moment. Uh, there was, funnily enough, when he was in all japan uh about 2012 someone asked him when are you gonna get sting to come over and he joked no the fee's too big <laughs> <laughs> he would want too much money 
And now he's going to go wrestle for Noah, who we know don't have that kind of money. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's intriguing. Um, so, yeah, so Sting has been announced to wrestle for Noah for his retirement match at the Tokyo Dome. Or Yokohama, sorry. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be cool. Very, very cool. And this is the reason why we did this podcast is so we could talk about this, basically. Yeah, it's, uh, like you said, it, it was great. It was great. I almost wish the crowd, and maybe they did, and I just didn't, it just didn't come through on my end. Uh, but it felt like he had more fanfare on commentary than from the actual crowd. Yeah. Uh, and, and and we talked about this before. Sometimes that could just be that that vacuum uh, that fans, you know, have themselves in because, you know, great mood. Of, you know, he is a legend. is is kind of damn near understatement. And this being his final year as well, you know, you, you kind of would want that uh, almost like a punk pop. But, you know, again, um, is that is that uh, – is that vacuum? But yeah, I did. This was brilliant. That history between him and him and Sting. Uh, obviously, readily shouted out on commentary. And uh, might I add, Muda may have one of the best masks. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, that thing is just like yeah. If he ever puts it on sale or something, that that is gonna go for a mint. <laughs> it's gonna go for an absolute mint. It, it's it's brilliant. But yeah, this 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 was phenomenal. Shout out to Buddy Matthews who, you know. Uh, so like a champ. Well, like Jack was said, one of the best looking dragon screws I've seen in years. Yeah, true. I um there is a museum in Tokyo that has all of Muta's masks, which you want to go have a look at them. They're really cool. It's somewhere in Tokyo. Alex um Edwards might go look for us if we ask him nicely. Um no. former former co-host of the Troopany show now lives in Tokyo. So <laughs> on Twitter reminded me of the greatest Muta moment I remember and it's when, I can't remember what show it's on but someone like throws a magic lamp on the ground, there's a load of green yeah. spots and it's just Muta <laughs> It would be a wrestling love show I would think. I saw this week was the it's... first time Sting saw Muta I think uh, Vintage Progresso put the uh, NWA Power Hour show on where Sting and Muta had their first showdown with Gary Hart separating Muta away from Sting that was kind of a goosebumps it's, moment. Yeah. yeah that is just like you when say, you realize it was 33 years ago. This <laughs> this absolute ace. And quick shout out to both Sting and Jay, who took some very gnarly head bumps on these table spots. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and Julia Hart as well. She did, just missed the table. She went too far and just missed the table, took a chunk yeah, out of the table and yeah, landed. But, you know, it, it was uh, great, great stuff nonetheless. Yeah, this was this a type of brilliant chaos that you. It actually has meaning behind it, so you know you can appreciate that. Yes. Next up, we had the Jericho Appreciation Society, Angelo Parker and Matt Bernard, took on Action Bronson and Hook. I believe Action Bronson is a performer of popular music, as I had to look him up. The rapper, I believe. Yes, a rapper, I do believe, of the, the hip-hop style. Um, Angelo Parker and Matt Bernard, I would sit and watch wrestle a pile of bricks. I love those guys beyond belief. I have done for years. They are just incredibly good wrestlers, and they were the ideal people for this situation when you've got a non-wrestler who has to look like he knows what he's doing. And Hook could just be Hook and just throw people about. So this was just fun, and that's where it was supposed to be. Action Bronson, not bad. There you go. Uh, Marcus, your thoughts? Yeah, same, same. I'm I'm not really that, that tuned in to Bronson. I, I've seen him here and there, but I've not really, uh, you know, really intended or uh, had the, the uh, motivation to, to really find out a lot about him. But kudos to him. You know, AEW clearly has a 
a key to unlock a lot of these celebrities and get them on the shows and you know uh how they use them has been hit or miss more so hit um and and, and a lot of times so this was another one of those instances like you said uh the jericho society guys did what did their thing and uh very much elevated hook and, and bronson and uh you know you got what you got you know this this wasn't gonna this match was around for a good time not a long time that was the point and the double yeah. sleeper tap out was, was good and, and bronson to his credit uh you know what he had to do he did it well and got in and got out yeah there you go ah john what do you think i thought of, i was partially aware of who action bronson is because he's a playable character in ufc4 so i thought <laughs> of i saw him in a twitter clip last week when they sort of set this match up and i was like oh shit that's action bronson he's oh, been yeah. in the ufc game i wonder if he actually knows how to fight and then of course i got shown yeah he does kind of know how to fight and you had like Jericho and Taz both on commentary trying to put over their side while still not quite ruling out the others. And it, yeah, it was just another glorious clusterfuck. Like 2.0 could probably sell for a mop. Like they, they <laughs> understand wrestling. They know how to make you give a shit. And as I said, they made Bronson look like a beast. It does help. He's built like a brick shit house anyway. So. Yeah. Him just train wrecking people and Hook coming in there to remind everyone what beautiful suplexes look like. Yeah. yeah. Great match. Great moments and great commentary. Like yeah. for all my gripes with Jericho as a wrestler, I'll happily listen to him comment it all day. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. I mean, my favorite 2.0 moment was um, in Shikara uh, when Shikara was being reformed at National Pro Wrestling Day. In 2015, after it went after it had been shut down, and um, they had to go back in time <laughs> to fetch Archibald Peck out of a time loop to get him back to um, to Philadelphia for the to to save the day, um, and like the baby faces get run down by um, the BDK, and then um, 2.0 and Peck turn up in a DeLorean. <laughs> And they sold it perfectly. Like, this is a bit weird, but we're going to go with it. And it was just genius. And it was just absolutely brilliant. And once I saw that, I was like, well, they can do anything they want. They can make this seem like if they bought into this, then that's they'll buy into anything. And they sell everything like brilliantly. They just, just love them. Love them to death. And I'm just so glad they've got the opportunity to shine where they need to shine. And people can't say enough about them at the minute. Anywho, let us move on. Josh Woods and Tony Nice are with Smart Mark Sterling. Lost spectacularly to the team of Ward Joe, Samoa Joe, and Wardlow. Which I just thought when Excalibur said that went, that's brilliant. I'm sorry, but they just need to stop the show and just say that Ward Joe, that's great. John, what do you think of this? Because <laughs> not what happened. <laughs> it wasn't so much a match as it was. Hey, watch these two guys get murdered by Samoa Joe and Wardlow. And then watch this third guy who's been dodging getting his ass handed to him by Wardlow get his ass handed to him by Wardlow. It was it was just Joe and Wardlow get their shit in. Josh Woods and Tony Nice get to be victims, and it's it's a good old fashioned fun squash with Samoa Joe and Wardlow being the two most intimidating bastards on the planet. There you go. That's pretty much it. Marcus, bang on, bang on as usual, uh, John. Uh, absolutely. Um, I always appreciate seeing just Joe being 100% in his bag. Um, 
stuff seen of just the walk off uh when the guys jump off the rope stuff like that and, and Warlow's doing his thing and it's uh yeah like you said get they got their stuff in and and you know obviously this was building the, the Warlow eventually getting his hands on Sterling and, and he did and um there's a power bomb fest so you know this was uh another situation that didn't need to be around for a long time but a good time and it was uh yeah, I, I doubt this is the end of it, just because, you know, <laughs> we, we know how these things go. Uh, but, yeah, it was good. You know, got the RHTV champion with the, you know, TNT champion. And, uh, yeah, this could be a this could be a dominant force if they, if they want to keep them tagging in, in, uh, in the company. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Indeed. Right, move on to something. One of my favorite things about Wardlaw still is just he's so aware of how horny everyone is for him as well. <laughs> like everything is done with intention down from his shirts to how he just handles himself like i love when wrestlers are just self-aware and yeah. aware of how everyone in the room feels so he's just like all right i'll play into this and it'll fucking work just love it, John. It's like gotta love warlow he's always ring rat ready <laughs> oh, okay let's move on jungle boy defeated ray phoenix in 16 minutes and 40 seconds Ray Phoenix was accompanied by Alex Abrahantos. 8.9 from the cage match users, which will tell you how good it was technically. Little long for my tastes, but it did tell the story of how they're trying to get Jungle Boy some momentum going forward. And it ended, of course, with interference from Luchasaurus. Well, not interference, post match beatdown from Luchasaurus and Christian, as the long game of Christian's dark plan has come to fruition. Marcus, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, love this as well. This is, uh, you know, you put these shows together, they got some absolute bangers on both. Um, and this was uh, the third one you watched, I think, Rampage 4. Um, yeah, I mean, these two guys, we, we know what Phoenix can do. Absolutely brilliant. And they're, they're continuing to build Jungle Jack, who um, Jericho pointed out on commentary, has kind of been built naturally in a lot of ways to be a singles competitor. Great with Luchasaurus, obviously, but... You know, this is a guy you kind of want to see spread his wings and kind of fly on his own. And and this is this is situations you put him in the very much build to that point. And I think uh, obviously the post match, um, we'll get to the end. I, th- I think they did a, a great thing to in the match the way they did him countering the black fire driver in the way that he did because obviously Phoenix um, can beat anybody. Uh, but but Jack, you know, did a brilliant counter and got out of there and. Post-match stuff was just as good, if, if not better, because I think Christian has been in his bag as a heel. Mm. Uh, the sweater king right now. Uh, <laughs> and, and just killing it, uh, you know, on the mic and everything. He's clearly very much enjoying himself, and he's always, he's been one of my, my favorites of all time for me. So um, it's cool seeing him, you know, do his thing, even injured. So this is this is good. This is going to continue, and this is going to build, uh, obviously, you want to believe, you know, getting this come up. And so uh, they continue to do that, and, and it's fun stuff to watch. There you go. Um, John? Yeah, I, I agree with you on the fact that when it went to the third picture-in-picture picture ad break, I was just like, all right, this has gone on a bit too long now. But it's fun for what it is, and it's hard to deny just how talented both of them are. Like Phoenix, again, is another one of these people you could probably watch have a match with a broom. And he'll either find a way to overdo a dive or he'll just, you know, it'll be awesome. And I just like the chemistry the pair had. Obviously, the big hook was like, oh, Christian's back again and he's going to probably make another joke about your dad being dead. 
and then Luchasaurus is going to come out and end your existence. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's great stuff. And it, again, it's, it shows AEW is capable of story. Yeah. So it's... Why isn't it everywhere? Yeah. I don't have too much to say about it. I enjoyed it. It felt a little long, but Christian, yeah, Christian is doing some of his best work with one yeah. arm. There you go. Um, yeah, nothing else really to say about it. Um, of course, I will point out, as I've realized this, uh, me and John obviously watched this show via Marcus's feed, and we watched it over Skype together, didn't we, John? Because this show actually doesn't come out in the UK until Tuesday. Yes, so we definitely did, didn't we, Marcus? And we didn't look at it from an illegal download site at all. There was no way I was going to allow my good True Penny brothers <laughs> to watch this in any uh, dastardly form. So if I could decide <laughs> for them to watch it properly, and obviously, you know, not just for the enjoyment, but to talk about it on the show, I was going to do that, and that's what I did. That's what we did, perfectly, legally, um, obviously, using a, an official feed of TBS, sorry, TNT. Um, next up, oh. Sammy Guevara. Sorry. Oh, what was that, John? Someone was beeping. I was confused. Oh, okay. No, I couldn't hear anything here. Anyway, uh, moving on. Sammy Guevara defeated Eddie Kingston by referee's decision in eight minutes, 11 seconds, when Kingston refused to lead, take off a submission, which Sammy Guevara had already uh, submitted to. Um, therefore, the... Um, the head referee, Paul, whose name escapes me, the former Ring of Honor guy, him, <laughs> um, he reversed, reversed the decision, which is a, an age-old tactic, um, has been used many, many times before. I'll take you back to Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler, one SummerSlam where Bret refused to take off the sharpshooter and Lawler won by disqualification. Um, and it's a good way to keep heat, and Eddie doesn't really take a loss. Um, so, uh, Marcus, what did you think of this? Yeah, you know, as much as, you know, he's he's consistently been on the show since AEW's inception. Absolutely, kind of just soured on Guevara. Um, <laughs> I think everyone has, that's the trouble. <laughs> yeah, it's just a bit of a, it's just a bit of a tool, man. It's just a tool. Um, but, but you know, can't deny talent in that ring. And Kingston is just like, Eddie Kingston to me is like, the, if, the, if he's that guy, that if he replaced Tim Allen as like Claws, like he legitimately like beat up people in their house if they didn't leave out the cookies that he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> he's that disgruntled of a guy, but you, you just love to watch him, and he, he's brilliant and, and stuff like this because he literally takes the piss out of guys that a lot of people probably want to take the piss out of, like Sammy Guevara in the fashion that he did. Um, mm. Obviously, you know this, get, this decision got reversed or whatever, but it's you know um, Eddie Kingston is, is his own chaos. You know, the only guy that can yeah. stop him is him. And it's, it's brilliant to watch him wrestle back and forth with that. It's, it's not too many um, people that that is as captivating in their realness as Kingston. So, you know, this yeah. is this was this was great uh, to watch it from that from that perspective. Yeah, I think this was better than. I mean, the cage match users gave it five point seven four, which I think is unfair because it couldn't be a classic, and it's not Sammy Guevara's wheelhouse. He was kind of like hanging on. And letting Kingston do the majority of the work, which is really what he needed to do, because he's the chicken shit heel and he should get beat up. That's the way it goes. Um, and it's just kind of like I think if you look at it as like try and translate it as a regular wrestling match, you're not gonna it's not great, but it did what it needed to do because again, this 
this is kind of like the opposite of like the match we saw on Dynamite that was, as John said, first chapteritis. This is a first chapter match, but it doesn't feel like a first chapter match because it's done something different to get you to the second chapter. But that means that it might not be the best wrestling match you're going to see. But it definitely means the second one will be way better. So we'll see. I think it's got legs. And there's obviously personal animosity between the two. And as it's been said before, personal stories sell tickets. That's what Jerry Jarrett used to have that above his desk. Personal issues make money. That was it. Every time he looked up, he saw that. And that's what he wrote in his booking of Memphis in the 1980s. John, what did you think of this? I could happily watch Eddie Kingston beat the shit out of Sammy Guevara every week for the next several months. There's just something sort of entertaining about watching the cocky, twatty heel just get bitch slapped. Like, <laughs> legit, Eddie Kingston's one of the best wrestlers on the planet at the moment. He will make you believe, he will beat the shit out of you if you don't, and he is just an all-round real human being. Like, people always are like, oh, wrestling's so fit. It's like, oh, look at Eddie Kingston. He is not bullshitting anything. He has told his life story. He has talked of his struggles. And he will just go into every match and fight. He's not pretty. He is not the flashiest wrestler. He doesn't have the prettiest moves. But by God, he will beat the absolute shit out of you. And the audience was just along for the ride as he kicked Sammy Guevara's ass. And I think everyone was just hoping he wouldn't let go of the hold. But... Yeah. Alas, they reversed the decision on him, the bastards. I think that's as well is Sammy Guevara is real in that sense as well, in a different way, in the sense of he probably is a bit of a jerk and he is a pretty boy. And leaning into that is the best thing you can do. I think he's slightly overexposed at the minute. And for the same reason as we talked about with other people, they just don't need him on TV for a while because he's done lots and he needs to take a break. Can't they have an honeymoon? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, and, and you know, to your point on that, Kingston would be the the, the guy to actually put him off TV. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You could get rid of him for three or four months, and then he can come back, beat up Kingston, jump in from behind, and away you go again. And it'll be the story that lasts forever. That's what I'm I'm looking for. I want a long term feud like the Freebirds and the Von Erich style of feud that's going to last for years, kind of feud. That's what I want. Like. You possibly can. And this potentially could be that because they're the ideal pair to do it with. I just love to see like next week that like the camera crew's just going through the parking lot and Sammy Guevara's had his head put through a car window. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need to do. Just keep doing stuff like that week to week to week until Sammy says, that's it, I've had enough. Take three months off, come back. I mean, I mean, to James point, it's it's really, it's, it's brilliant simplicity because, I mean, you know, you look at somebody like the archetypal uh, just the attitude of somebody like Kingston, they despise pretty boys like Guevara. Yeah. Going around just uh, taking selfies and open mouth kissing this girl or whatever and bragging about this and that and the third. And it's just, you know, he's got to face that begs being beaten up. So, you know, I think, you know, to Kingston, that is the exact route they should go because all it's going to do, you take them off TV, all they're going to do is blow up Twitter with a bunch of unnecessary pics and videos anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, then we move on to the semi main event AEW World Championship number one contender match, Golden Ticket Grand Slam Battle Royal, because this had to be the longest named match ever. Um, yes, Adam Page defeated. <sighs> oh, do you want to do this one, John, or shall I? Are we going for the, the rapid roster rundown? Yeah, do you want me to do it? Do Adam do it? Page defeated Ayadavari, Brian Cage, Chuck Taylor, Cole Carter, 
Dalton Castle with the boys, Dan Housen, Daniel Garcia, Dante Martin, Evil Uno, Isaiah Cassidy, Jake Hager, Jay Lethal with Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt, John Silver, Lance Archer, Lee Moriarty with Stokes Lee Hathaway and William Morris, sorry, W. Morrissey, Mark Quinn, Matt Hardy, Penta L Zero M, Cutie Marshall, Rush, Ten, The Blade, The Butcher, and Trent Beretta in 12 minutes and 16 seconds of this goddamn Willy Wonka in the number one contenders factory. <laughs> to, to, to be to be fair with everything else they have him do, I'm surprised they didn't legitimately make Excalibur do that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Five point oh nine from the cage match users will tell you this wasn't great. Really, one terrible. There was some nice bits in it. I like some cool bits in it. That was nice. Um, but yeah, Adam Page ends up winning, and he's back in the number one contender spot, which gives you Page versus Moxley again, which will be cool. I feel. Um, there was was it W. Morrison? I've just been looking at the New Japan book. Sorry, I feel like Tony Khan's just been looking at the New Japan book. As in, you just book the same three guys at the top. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, but New Japan do it for a different reason than why Tony Khan would. Um, I mean, you do kind of like have to keep Page boiling somewhere near the top, but he's not going to win the title back now for a while. I think he will. Yeah, I think he might like, do, considering Mox wanted a holiday. I think he's the long-term bet for the being the ace of the company, but I don't think he's going to be winning the title this year. I don't think. I'm not sure. But like, it's kind of a different story in New Japan and their booking as well, as far as championships are concerned, especially the top end of it. But yeah, I understand what you're saying, though. What did you think of it anyway, John? It was all right. It was just a battle royal. It's 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 kind of there's only one formula for battle royales and that's clusterfuck. And <laughs> sure, there was some fun personality moments, faction moments, this that. And it, it, at the end of the day, it, as it boils down to, it's just a battle royale, and the winner was probably the most predictable. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Marcus. What did you think of it? Yeah, you know, you know, like you guys say, it was what it was. Um, you know, uh, with the only smuggier bastard on the roster than Sammy Guevara being uh, MJF watching from uh, on high, if you will, um, with his his chip that he could use at any time. But yeah, I mean, I almost would have preferred a if they had to put Paige back in another scenario to to get a title shot, just do a one on one with him and Roosh. Yeah, you know him and had an interference of obviously his brother, and then have them, you know the poles over his body after the match because you know I think Bruce versus Moxley uh, is is a more intriguing and fresh combination that you could yeah. do. But they went the way that they went, and uh, yeah, it, it, you know, like John said, it, it it was what it was. Had some fun moments here and there. I think my favorite spot though um, was the moment where Paige was hanging on to Bruce, almost hitting the floor. That was a great little. Uh, spot, but other than that, it, it, it you know it was what it was. They they do these battle royals and and um you know grand spectacle group things a lot to get these no more contenders and it's it's just something that's easy go to get get half the roster out there do their thing and, and and get guys in position for title shots. But you know it's nothing to write home about. Um, top marks to Bix this week. Uh, David Bixton spans brilliant tweet. Uh, this week whilst watching this, which was, oh no, it's Brian Cage. Which, <laughs> I, <laughs> which I replied back, is that a lost less than Jake album? 
because it sounds exactly like what Less Than Jake would call an album, or indeed a song. <laughs> yeah, when he got eliminated, I'm like, yet again, showing exactly what his value is in this whole scenario. Please, somebody make sure <laughs> Melissa isn't watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there we go. Let's just move on to the main event, which was a lights-out match between Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. 11 minutes and 52 seconds. Actually, really good. Really enjoyed this. Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs have been having a quiet, slow-burn feud of anger. And this was kind of like old-school WCW stuff. They put it in the main event. It wasn't a title match. It, it made sense for this to be here. It was worthy. It was worthy of a main event. And I really enjoyed it. We, what it was. we missed a match. Have we? Which one we missed? Oh, we did. Let's just go back. You are absolutely right. It's because I moved things down and I didn't see it. Skipping backwards, before the Battle Royal, there was an AEW TBS championship match. Jade Cargill, accompanied by Kira Hogan and Layla Gray, defeated Diamante, who was accompanied by Trina, in 2 minutes and 36 seconds. Which is probably the reason why we missed it. Sorry, ladies. Do apologize. And again, should have been longer. But there we go. Um, but this was kind of a bit of a squash, which is unfair on Diamante, because Diamante is really, really good. Um, but there we are. And then at the end of the match, Trina turned on Diamante and joined Jay Cargill in the baddies. So there you go. Uh, Marcus, what did you think of this? Yeah, you, you kind of said it when you when you brought up the match that we missed. I was like, uh, did we miss it? Um, and, and again, like you said, it's not a shot at the ladies, but this was this was the most foregone conclusion, I think, on both yeah. shows. Um, and, and it sucks because I've been a huge fan of Diamante since she was, you know, um, ki- killing it as, as, you know, one of the, you know, LAX members. And I even then, back then, I was championing her getting more time as a singles competitor in Impact. Um, and it's cool to see her getting that here, but there was a better match to be had if she if she had a different opponent. Um, and that's no knock to Jade, but I think ultimately she had to serve the narrative of the, the conqueror, the dominator being Jade, who was going to do you know, close to maybe six moves and then get them on up out of there. Um, and to Jay's credit, she's been getting better. It looks like she added a new move to her repertoire. She did like a F5 on the ring apron, which was cool. Um, but yeah, like I said, this was a far gone conclusion. I think, you know, uh, like I said, the Diamante had more to do. Started off the match great. Um, but again, these matches aren't meant to go long by any means. And Going back to what I was saying earlier about the, the hit or miss with the celebrities, I think this was a miss with Trina. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of so wanted her to sell more at the end of, you know, let me help my friend up and then, you know, do the thing where they, they hit him in the back or, or kick him or whatever. But, you know, like I said, it's not like we're going to see a bunch. Like this was, this was a get her in here, get out type of situation. So, yeah. It's also a bit weird in the sense of like, there's loads of interaction between Adam Cole and Britt Baker in AEW, like on, on when you see it, right? Mm-hmm. And there is there's there's interactions between other people we know have relationships together who work for AEW. Kira Hogan is Diamante's girlfriend. <laughs> no one mentions it. <laughs> it's like surely there's like mileage. There there's a ten minute set promo there. No one mentions it. There you go. Yeah, and it's weird too because I felt like it might have been a moment. Now that you say that, there was something like when because when the when Trina initially Diamante like I, I got my girl, you you know you know her, and I'm gonna bring her, and then they little Trina, and then Jay kind of looked back at Kara and went like, 
uh, what's happening here? This is your girl. And then, so, but I think she was talking about Trina and not Diamante, which is even weirder, like you yeah. said, because it's the acknowledgement. But I guess with, with the narrative of the baddies, if, if it was even acknowledged, she'd have to get kicked out immediately, I guess, yeah. or something. I don't, you know, so. I didn't see the point of this. Like, I get that you want Jade to be on TV pretty much every week, the dominant champion, the scrappy challenges, but this this was just kind of a disservice because it lasted less than three minutes. Everyone probably forgot about it, and sure, Jade looks great. Like, Jade is top champion material for where she is, and considering the amount of, like, experience she has, she's doing really damn well. But just kind of wasting some of your talent. Like, Diamante is world-traveled. She's a top-tier wrestler. She bloody... Hell, she was fronting LAX, for Christ's sake. It it just seems like you're wasting your time not sort of making full use of her. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, Right then, we'll get back to the main event. Ricky Starks, Powerhouse Hobbs. This was great, as I mentioned before. And I'll mention it again. Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs were really great. Um, this was a main event match. This felt like an old-school WCW-style main event, an old territory main event. Bill Watts would have been proud of this, that kind of thing. Um, very stiff. Kind of the thing you needed to sell in a street fight. And I really enjoyed it. Um, John, your thoughts? Yeah, pure violence. I, I'm i glad that the show kind of came full circle. You started with a violent brawl. You ended with a violent brawl. It was very physical, very intense. Ricky Starks is just so goddamn good. Like, underdog or cocky, it doesn't matter. Ricky Starks can just sell it all. He is amazing. Powerhouse Hobbs is just a damn juggernaut. Like, him ripping off a light fixture to just use as a weapon was the most believable moment in that match. And I was just like, of course he did that. He's Powerhouse Hobbs. He could fucking do that. Exactly. Straight video game moment, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no, it's great. I watched an interview. I was reading around things um, when um, Butch Reed passed away. And Butch Reed loved Hack, uh, Powerhouse Hobbs. In fact, he wanted to give him the Hacksaw title because he kind of felt he was like the natural successor of his style of wrestling. And he thinks he was amazing. And I completely agree with him because he's that kind of straight-up brawler that Butch Reed was. Um, but yeah, this was great. Marcus, your thoughts? Again, man, absolute tits. This was great. Uh, this has been one of my favorite things to watch, you know, um, besides anything Sting's done, obviously what, uh, you know, been happening readily recently with, you know, Swerving Our Glory and uh, the Acclaim. And this this has been right up there. Like, I've, like, really dug Ricky Starks since he debuted in NWA. Yeah, I was like, when the minute I saw him, like, it's just something about this guy. When I saw him and I heard him, I just just something about this guy. You just saw so much potential in him, and I feel like all that potential has been and is being uh, fulfilled in AEW. Um, it's just been it's been brilliant to watch, and he's kind of near my neck of the woods, if you will. Obviously, I'm in BR. He's from New Orleans, but it's it's still all Louisiana, so uh, kind of root for the hometown born away. And uh, the Johns Point Powerhouse Hobbs is. You know, somebody who they would be absolutely insane not to uh, use the, the potential of and, and, and use in the way that they have and kind of let them do his thing. And uh, they've not had a, a long time to, to, 
you know, build and do this, but what they, you know, the time that they have had with this, they've done brilliantly with and having Hobbs kind of dispose of him in the four minutes that he did it at uh, all out, if you will. And, and now coming back here and then Starks redeeming himself in a, in a way and in a match that was conducive to him kind of knocking this juggernaut off in the way that he did, uh, was just, just great overall storytelling. I think this is, to James' point, one of those things that you can have constantly running throughout the years of both of these guys' career, whereas it's like, you know, I'm always, like, you you were my heavy or whatnot, but you're not, you know, you're not the boss, you're not this guy. I can knock you off anytime I want to. And they can just constantly, I think, run that back as they both build individual success. So. And that wraps us up for our week of AEW at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Uh, thank you for listening to us today. Um, I'd like to thank my guests, Mr. Marcus Green. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? No, oh, man, always my pleasure. Like I said, it was a uh, good talk about AEW again. It's certainly good to get on with John again. Um, you can find me on Twitter at ParadoxKid. That's P-A-R-A-D-O-X-K-I-D. Always down the chat. And I'd like to thank Mr. John Dinsdale for his contributions this evening. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at Twitter handle John Deathman. That is the gateway to hell that will lead you to my writings, my ramblings, opinions. And you can find me on Patreon at Deathmatch Digest. That will give you twice weekly deathmatch facts, reviews. I don't even know what to call these days. I just pick a match, write about it, and give you the story of it. And usually it's very good. Sometimes it's a disaster. The <laughs> newest one is. Joel Bateman versus Colby Carino from Sean Henderson Presents in an all-warped barbed wire match, which had one of the nastiest landings on a concrete floor I've ever seen. Ooh. And yeah, obviously, keep it tuned to the tube, pretty sure, because you'll hear me fairly often, and the ratings are going to go up because Marcus has been on. Dang. The best voice to listen to in podcast. Thank you, guys. Yes. The, yeah, the smoothest voice in wrestling podcasting. Um, yeah, my name is James Troopany. You can find me at Sheriff Lonestar. You can find the show, Troopany Show, on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon. We can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your SoundCloud, uh, sound podcasts from. That's the one I'm looking for. We, we aren't on, um, there was one we weren't on, and I'm about to fix that. Um, Spotify, we aren't on Spotify podcasts, but we're on all the others. So go find us there. Podbean, if you will. Um, next week we haven't quite decided yet, but there was a great show this week, so Marcus might be interested in that. I shall return. And there you go. Um, also, I've also got Saith possibly might be back to join us because we're going to make him watch. Some. <laughs> Went out with a coffee for him with him today, and I was like explaining Glee to him, and he was like, "That sounds really cool. Oh, I'll have to. Oh, yeah, but I still won't watch it. Uh, but we'll see what he says. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week." Uh, there'll be other stuff on the channel. I'm sure Daryl will get something to me this week for the Rewind. Uh, Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye!